My name is Pochu Grenville. I am born and grew I was born and grew up in Hong Kong. And I have been uh, missionaries in Hong Kong together with my Norwegian husband, Uli Jakob Grenville, who is sitting here, for many, many years. Um, and we, are, we were sent out by the Norwegian missionaries, uh, the, the NMS, Norwegian Missionary Society, yes, yes. And today I'm very, very happy to, to be invited to, 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 to share God's word with you today. And, um, well, I'm not the English-speaking person, but I hope that uh, you can understand what I say. Yeah. So, let us look at the first slide. The topic for today's sermon is follow me. I mean, follow Jesus. Yes. So, first of all, um, let me read the text to you. The, the, the text reading today is taken from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 14, verses 26 to 33. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For the which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Today's test is disturbing. Maybe you can, yeah. Today's test is disturbing. Do you agree? Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. These are strong words. Although the Chinese Bible translates miseo, hate, into love more than, and some commentators also suggest this reading, it does not make the test easier. I remember, you know, right after I became a Christian, that was when I was 12 years old, and then I started reading the Bible, and then the first time I read this text, I was so scared and frightened, because I said to myself, oh, I love my grandmother so much. I love my grandmother even more than my mother. How could I love her less? Why must I choose between Jesus and my grandmother? I remember in 1995, my husband and I were planting a church in Hong Kong. And the church was small at the beginning. About 20 people attended Sunday worship. And during one Sunday worship, I asked the congregation, if someone wanted to be prayed for, 
And then a woman stood up, and she was the woman I brought her to Christ earlier. And she said with a shaky voice and tears in her eyes, she said, please pray for me, because I doubt if I have believed in the wrong religion. And then she explained why she felt so. She told the congregation that her doubt came from reading the biblical test, which was our test today. In today's text, Jesus used two examples to illustrate to his potential followers the importance of counting the cost of following him. But the problem is, well, I believed in Jesus when I was 12 and baptized when I was 16. How did I know then what it would cost me to follow Jesus? How did I know the cost before the following even began? I think that the text is disturbing or difficult for me to understand, most probably because I live in a free world. In fact, persecution has never stopped since there was a church. This test has been very relevant to people, actually, uh, who live in the parts of the world which are hostile to Christianity. There was persecution of Jesus' followers at the very beginning. It happened sporadically and usually locally throughout the Roman Empire from the first century to the fourth century after Christ. The New Testament bears witness to the persecution of the first followers of Jesus, especially uh, the book of Acts, uh, the first Peter, or the book of Revelation, for example, the book of Acts narrates about the per per persecution of the apostles in chapter 4 to 5, the execution of Stephen and the apostle James in chapter 7 and 12, the persecution against the church in Jerusalem in chapter 8, Paul's threat to Jesus' followers in Damascus in chapter 9, and Paul's persecution by the non-believing Jews and Gentiles after he became the followers of Jesus. The persecution of Christians, for example, by the Roman Empire uh, Nero uh, in uh, 64, uh, after, 64 after, after, after Christ was well known. And Christians were arrested, thrown to wild beasts, and crucified. They were rounded and sacrificed. And while the persecution began in Rome, it spread to other provinces of the empire. Persecution continued until the legalization of Christianity within the Roman Empire in 313 under Constantine the Great. Do you know about the persecution of the Catholics in Japan in the 19th century? Well, it shows us that persecution continues in the modern history. This history was unknown to me until I visited the 26 Martyrs Museum in Nagasaki in Japan in 2018. The museum was built on the site where the 26 people were crucified. During the 34 years of persecution, 6,000 of believers Priests and missionaries were killed, and 26 of them were hanged on the cross. The youngest was 12 years old, 
and it is written, He kept singing when they cut off one of his ears, and on the cross, he refused to apostatize. These objects were objects used in the so-called trampling ceremony. Nagasaki residents were forced to go through a ritual of stepping on bronze images of Christ or Virgin Mary to prove they were not Christians. In China, churches were closed down and Christians were imprisoned when communism took power in 1949. And since 1980, the churches in China opened again and enjoyed certain freedom to develop itself. However, a new round of local systematic repression of Christianity in mainland China began in 2013 in Zhejiang province and then in 2018 in Henan province. Oppression applies to the Catholic and Protestant church, registered or non-registered church. It is, not, it is no co coincidence that these two provinces were targeted because they have many Christians. They are called China's Jerusalem and China's Galilee. The government has introduced many new rules and regulations for the church. And just to mention some, CCTV and facial recognition cameras were installed in churches. And people under 18 years old cannot join church activities or enter church buildings. In some cities of Henan province, the number of churches were forced to reduce two-thirds. And thousands of crosses were removed from church buildings in both provinces. Nowadays, persecution of Christians are still common, especially in Muslim countries. Magazines like Stephanus, I don't know if you ever read it, have a lot of information about where persecution of Christians takes place and their situation. Do you know where on earth is the most difficult places to follow Jesus? I mean, you can see that from the, from the, monitor, from the screen. Seven of the top worst countries are majority Muslim nations. Last year, 360 million Christians, or one in seven Christians, it's easier to remember, one in seven believers around the world, suffered significant persecution for their faith. Every day last year, every day, an average of more than 16 believers were killed for following Jesus. With close to 6,000 total martyrs, Last year saw a 24% increase in Christians killed for the faith. Today's text is about the cause of following Jesus. And if you look at the preceding text, I mean the text before this one, that is uh, from uh, uh, Luke 14, 15 to 24, this text is about God's generous offer of salvation to people, illustrated by the parable of a great banquet. When you read, it, when you read these two pages together, one finds that they seem to contrast each other. While the 
parable of a great banquet, the preceding test, is about God's generous offer of salvation to people by His free grace, today's test makes an abrupt shift. It costs to follow Jesus. How can something be both free and costly at the same time? Well, maybe, maybe I use marriage as an example to illustrate it. Love is a gift, right? You cannot buy love. What you can buy with money is not real love. Love is a gift. If you receive it, you must commit to your spouse in good or bad days. And look at the wedding, the wedding vow. I think many of you I think, yeah, have uh, said that to your spouse, right? They are very strong words, too. <laughs> love is a gift. But a happy marriage needs commitment and cultivation. It costs, and sometimes it costs dearly. It does not ask you to give up things or people you like, but it asks you to give, up the priority, to, to give the priority to your spouse when other relationship or thing becomes an obstacle to that. I have married more than 40 years and have lived most part of my life. Looking back, I must admit that I did not aware the weight of the vow I made to, to my husband when I got married when I was 25 years old. Love is not just about feeling. It is also about commitment, the willingness to commit, not to let other relationship or anything or conflict come between you and your spouse. This example, marriage, has its limitation because we cannot really compare God's love with human love. But I hope you get the point I want to make. To be loved by someone is a gift. To receive that love and commit to that relationship is costly. Similarly, to be loved by God is a gift. You receive it freely at no expense to you. But once you receive it, you have just committed everything you are and have to Jesus Christ. We must notice that Jesus taught the crowds about following him when he was on his way to Jerusalem. And he knew that there was suffering waiting for him in the city. According to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus prophesied twice about his suffering earlier in chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 44. And later, he would prophesy it again in chapter 18. And these prophecies took place while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus did not just talk about commitment. He, talk, he walked the talk, too. And Luke 9, 51 expressed Jesus' decisive commitment very well. It is written, When the days drew near, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
No turning back. The New Testament does not have a word that corresponds exactly to the word discipleship. What comes closest to the meaning of discipleship is what you can find in Jesus' calling of his disciples. When they were called by Jesus, they followed him. Discipleship is to follow Jesus or his footsteps. The only time, the only time in my life I literally followed in someone else's footsteps was the tour I walked over Bethlehem in Newtonheim in 2001 with my family. The trip over Bethlehem is one of the most popular mountain heights in Norway, and that taught me a lot about following Jesus' footsteps. You know, there are two ways you can walk over it. One is, uh, I mean, walking up. I, luckily, I walked up. I mean, uh, the, the, I, you, you can see the path I walk up because what you could see closest to you is the top, so you didn't see the path I, ca- I came up, okay? But the other way around is to walk down. And I heard that every year, you know, uh, someone somehow needs a helicopter to bring them down. <laughs> because they just couldn't walk down. <laughs> yeah. And um, from the top of Bethlehem, there was a great view of two lakes, Yende and the Besvatnet. And on a sunny day, one is reflected in green and the other in blue. Very beautiful. But you, had to, you have to use your four limbs to climb up the ridge over, uh, I mean, covered with loose sand. And the scariest thing was the cliffs on both sides of the ridge. If I lost my grip, I could roll and fall many hundreds of meters into one of the two icy waters I imagined. Of course, my husband said, you won't, but I imagined it could happen to me. And I was scared, and he asked me, do you want to turn around? I said, no, I don't want to turn around. So I want to go forward. And then... Um, and then we said a prayer, and that was the only time I made a prayer during my hike. And, um, and then I took a deep breath, and then I started to walk. But before I started my first step, I made up my mind. I said to myself two things. The first, I would put my foot down exactly where my husband put his. Nowhere else. And the second, I would not look around the beautiful view on both sides, until I finished the climbing, the climb. Because I, know, I knew if I looked around, I would be scared. Yeah? So I sacrificed this, this enjoyment. Uh, I, I just focused on reaching the top, and then I would enjoy the view later. Because I, I would be frightened if I look around. And this brief experience has taught me a lifelong lesson about following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus' footsteps, or to be led by him. You know, to go where he goes, to do what he did, and then to, you know, yeah, to say things that he said. I mean, just to be like him. The second, following Jesus' footsteps requires concentration. Both adversity and temptation, for example, the cares and riches and pleasures of life mentioned in the parable of the sour and seeds, 
in Luke 8 can lead us away from following Jesus. We need to focus our eyes on him. God wants us to enjoy our lives, enjoy our families, our friendship with other people. God wants us to have shelter and food and what we need. God wants us to have fun. God wants us to develop ourselves with the abilities he has given us. There's nothing wrong with families, possessions. There's nothing wrong to be afraid of death. Families, possessions, and lives are gifts we receive from God. Our relationship to God or Jesus defines our relationship, actually, defines our relationship to our families and friends to the better, to the better, not to the worse. For the Bible teaches that we shall honor our parents, we shall love and respect our spouses, we shall not provoke our children, we shall be forgiving, we shall be merciful, we shall work for our own bread, we shall be content. Only, only when our family members, friends, possessions, our lives, or anything that stands in our way of following Jesus, Jesus is calling us to prioritize our relationship to him or be willing to give them up for him. Luke's gospel contains examples of people who prioritize other things than following him. And a well-known example is narrated in Luke 18. It is about a ruler who was stumbled by his wealth. And Jesus said, you follow me. Sell everything you have, share it with the poor and follow me. But he was unwilling because he is rich. Most of us in Norway or in the West can follow Jesus without giving up anything or people that is dear to us. We may say we are, we are blessed, but we can also say that our faith is not tested. I think I can give up many things for Jesus, but I don't know if I will be strong enough to die for Jesus. That is very hard. But I pray that by God's mercy and strength, I will be strong when the time of trials come. Well, I would like to end my sermon with a prayer. That is a prayer written by um, Henry Nguyen. But I would change the word I into we, okay? So let us pray together. Dear Lord, help us keep our eyes on you. You are the incarnation of divine love. You are the expression of God's infinite compassion. You are the visible manifestation of the Father's holiness. You are beauty, goodness, gentleness, forgiveness, and mercy. In you, all can be found. Outside of you, nothing can be found. Why should we look elsewhere or go elsewhere? You have the words of eternal life. You are food and drink. You are the way, the truth, and the life. 
You are the light that shines in the darkness, the lamb on the lampstand, the house on the hilltop. You are the perfect icon of God. In and through you, we can see the heavenly Father, and with you, we can find our way to Him. O Holy One, Beautiful One, Glorious One, be our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Guide, our Consoler, our Comforter, our Hope, our Joy, and our Peace. To you, we want to give all that we are. Let us be generous, not stingy or hesitant. Let us give you all, all that we have, think, do, and feel. It's yours, O Lord. Please accept it and make it fully your own. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your lives, into the darkest of nights and the brightest of days. May he be there and bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve each other and serve the Lord joyfully.